Hello everyone, just a short disclaimer before the beginning of this episode. So as you might notice, this episode was pretty late. That is because I've been sick, uh, so I haven't been able to uh, edit. Um, it also means that Marshall uh, did the summary recording, uh, because <laughs> as you can see, uh, or as you can hear, I'm still sick. Um, but hopefully I will be uh, good enough for next week so we can get back to our regular uploading schedule. But without further ado, please enjoy his house. Now, actually, I kind of, I, I the movie. Uh, of course, it has. Wait, you can't say ridiculous. how you feel about it. We haven't introduced ourselves. Oh, can I not? Can, is that a rule? We can't, we can't say what we think of the movie in the cold open. Yeah, we have to leave it ambiguous so at least they make it through the intro. Oh, okay, okay, like leave that in, but just blur my blur my voice when I say what I thought of it. for you to be alone all the time, dwelling with your thoughts. Tomorrow we will find you something to do, something in the community. Make friends, be good. We're not like them. We can be. Welcome to Paths of Fear, the weekly podcast where we give our takes on horror movies and explore the opinions of our audience. I'm Ian. And I'm Marshall. And this week, we're looking at His House. It won for our lurking evil theme, because I, I couldn't come up with a good theme name. But you know, it's it's that's I guess it's not terrible. Um, do it. This movie was made in 2020, and it was written and directed by Remy Weeks from a story by Felicity Evans and Tommy Venables. Toby, did I say Tommy? Is there any is there an evil that doesn't lurk? Yeah, <laughs> 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 well, some evil um, struts. You know. Oh, I guess that's true. There's that that really, and you can really only do one of the two if you're evil. Like, there's... yeah, you can either strut evil or lurk evil. Yeah, you can't. There's no just neutral evil though. <laughs> <laughs> you're either strutting or you are lurking. Yeah, you're either like confident and like out there, or like confident and hidden. You know. Yeah. Like you're you're either like Jafar from Aladdin or you're Tobey Maguire from Spider Man Three. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And this was more of the uh, Jafar. I was more on the Jafar side, yeah. I was getting some Spider-Man 3 vibes, but it was definitely <laughs> more on the Jafar side. For sure. Anyways, uh, would you like to hear a teaser? Uh, yes, I would, Ian. Okay, it would have been really awkward if you said no. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, was, I was considering it, but I was like, man, I like, <laughs> like when Ian teases too much. We gotta let him go through with that. <laughs> All right. Bold and Rial are refugees who fled to the UK from war-torn South Sudan. Along the way, many lost their lives, including their daughter, Niagak. After months of being detained, the couple is given a chance to prove themselves. They're granted probational asylum and are assigned to a rundown house on the outskirts of London. As the pair struggles to adapt to this new environment, faint whispers and footsteps echo through their abode. As the wallpaper is peeled back and Bull's desperation deepens, Rial is left to wonder if this really is his house. Wonderful. All right. 
Am I good to say how I feel about the movie now, Ian? Or are you going to suppress my voice more? Yeah, I guess you can. I guess you can. Say. All right, cool. I, I dig it overall. I think it does a really good job of creepy, which I think like lots of horror movies can't hit on creepy too well nowadays. We're, we're very like numb as an audience to creepy, but it pulls off creepy super well. I do think there's something missing there. And I, it's, there's a, it's so hard to explain that I'm not going to get into it now, but right. I think ultimately I have to give it a good, I'm going to say like six out of 10. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I this is I think this might be the same scores that we did last week uh, for for um I'm thinking of ending things because I gave this movie an eight out of ten. I thought, first of all, that the story and the characters were amazing. And uh the way that they used horror to really emphasize that story to to serve that story was excellent and creative and I really think that the horror was really effective in a way that I haven't seen for a while. Nice. Okay. Well, yeah. our audience agrees more with you. They landed on an 8.4. Take that. I know. Co-host. What you guys don't know is that means I'm off the show now, actually. Ian and I, <laughs> Ian and I were talking. He said, so if you don't <laughs> land it near the audience's sore this time, you're out. That's right. <laughs> I was like, Ian, we the- co-founded this. He's like, I'm the boss. <laughs> Well, we we made a deal where then um, if I don't correctly guess the audience's uh, questions in the survey, then I'm also off the show. Yeah. So you could just lose both of us from Paths of Fear. Yeah. <laughs> I've passed my... I've... <laughs> oh, geez. Um... All right. Well, Ian, do you want to hop into the summary and we'll dive deeper into it? Yeah, sure thing. Ball and Real are refugees seeking asylum in the UK. Ball dreams of how they fled from war-torn South Sudan with their daughter Nyagak and how they lost her upon crossing the Mediterranean. Rial wakes him from his nightmare and it's revealed that the two of them have been held at a UK detainment facility for the last three months. They meet with the supervisory board who informs them that they've finally been granted probational asylum. However, to remain in the country, they must abide by strict regulations. Failing to do so may result in their deportation. Final condition. You will be sent to a home of our choosing. You must reside at this address. You must not move from this address. This is your home now. A yes if you understand. We are good people. A yes if you understand. Yes. Yes. After being released, Ball and Rial are driven to their government-assigned home on the outskirts of London. While its shabby interior contains garbage, peeling walls, and dismal furnishings, it is unusually large for an asylum-seeking family. Their case manager, Mark, gives them a tour, and to Ball and Real's surprise, tells them the whole place is theirs. He also lets them know that they should be alright, assuming they make an effort to fit in. Make it easy for people. Be one of the good ones. After Ball goes to sleep that evening, he awakes during the night to whispers and rustlings emanating from behind the dilapidated walls. As he investigates, a gasping girl appears briefly behind him, but when he turns, he sees nothing, and a bird flies from a hole in the wall. Strange country. The next day, Ball goes out and does his best to fit in. He gets a haircut from a local barber and then goes to a bar after he's invited in. He sings football songs with the British patrons and returns home in a good mood, 
When he tells Rial about his day, she doesn't seem as enthused. You are singing songs about this Peter Crouch. But says she'll go out tomorrow. That night, Ball awakes again, this time hearing footsteps downstairs. When he goes to look, a strip of wallpaper peels completely from the living room wall, revealing a gaping hole with loose wires hanging within. Ball begins pulling a cord from the wall, but it doesn't seem to end. The cord turns to rope and then to waterlogged rope, tangled in seaweed as a mysterious humanoid shape approaches from behind. The cord comes to an end with Nyagak's doll attached to it. Before Ball can get a better look, hands spring from the hole in the wall and take the doll back. When he turns from the wall, the hole disappears, and the wallpaper seems to be as it was. Ball spends the early morning peeling all the wallpaper from the living room walls. The following morning, Rial decides to go to the hospital for her checkup, as Mark advised her and Ball to do. While following a crude map Mark drew up for them, Rial gets lost and approaches three black British teenagers for directions. The group makes fun of her accent and clothes, and tells her to go back to Africa. Eventually, Rial finds her way to the hospital where she's checked on by a doctor. The doctor asks about her tribal scarifications. Rial tells her about how she wears the scars of two opposing tribes so she could survive after the death of her family. I survived by belonging nowhere. When Rial returns home, she too hears whispers in the walls. When she and Ball have dinner that night, she tells him a story that her mother used to tell her. In our village, there was once an honorable but poor man who wanted a home of his own. He wanted it so badly he began to steal from others. One day, he stole from an old man who lived by the river. He didn't know that this man was an apeth, a night witch. And so the thief could not know that when he built his home, the Apeth, too, would live there. After telling the story, Rial tells Ball that an Apeth has followed them there from the ocean and that it's spoken to her. It told her they don't belong here, that they must return and repay their debt, and in exchange, they'll be able to see Nyagak again. Despite knowing something supernatural is happening, Ball denies the Apeth's existence. Rial can tell he's lying. As night falls, Ball continues his work in peeling off the wallpaper from all the rooms. He then hears a little girl calling for her mother from across the hallway. As he approaches, he finds Nyagak wearing a mask and stabbing the floor with a knife. Before he can reach her, she turns and tries to stab him, but misses. She then slinks back into the shadows. Ball once again finds Nyagak's doll. After this encounter, he decides that in order to end the curse, he and Rial must relinquish their identity and burn all of the belongings they brought with them. Despite Rial's pleas, Ball even throws her necklace into the fire. Nyagak's necklace. Don't. The next day, Ball gets new clothes, and when he and Rial sit for dinner, he has them sit at the table and eat with utensils, all in an effort to assimilate. Rial doesn't like it, and is still intent on following the words of the Apeth and reuniting with Nyagak. As Ball eats, he falls into a daydream of sorts, and the dining room changes to a raft floating on the ocean. He falls into the water, only knee-deep, and sees dead bodies piled beneath him. Undead then begin to rise and stumble towards him. 
He awakes in the dark living room, sitting next to the wall. Before long, he sees an undead woman standing on the other side of the room. He turns the light on, and she disappears, though he can still hear her whispers and see her footprints. Nyagak, in her mask, appears again and turns off the light, revealing a group of undead in front of Baal. They surround and attack him, holding him still so Nyagak can slice his throat. He grasps at the light switch and flips it, removing the nightmare once again. Hearing Nyagak, or rather the Apeth, crawling within the walls, Ball begins ripping into the drywall with a hammer. After a long night, Ball goes to see Mark at his office and asks if they can get a different house. He claims the current one is infested with giant rats. Mark warns him that this can make him look bad, that it could seem like he's not adapting. People, not me, but people are then going to ask why is he biting the hand that's feeding him. He also says they'll have to do an inquiry as Ball looks visibly ill. Back home, Rial receives a necklace from the Apeth to replace the one Ball burned. Soon after, Ball returns home, along with Mark and another asylum worker. They see the destruction he's caused to the walls and are not convinced by his claim of rats. Rial, now redressed in traditional clothing she scrapped together from fabric, tells the workers about the witch and how Ball had been chasing it with a hammer. Mark and his partner return to their car and seem to think there's little hope of Ball and Rial staying in the UK. We better write them up. Making kissing and goodbye. She was wearing her bed sheets. Once Mark leaves, Ball decides enough is enough and locks him and Rial inside the house. Intent on dealing with the apath directly, he then sits in the living room, only a single candle lit, and waits until nightfall. Just as Ball is about to fall asleep, the apath appears in the shadows behind the candle, now a large flame. The apath tells him that he must give up his body for hers for Nyagak and presents him with a knife. You've got to touch me. To Ball, this means the apath can't hurt him directly in the real world and he rejects it. You can't touch me. You can't touch me. You can't hurt me. <laughs> You're just a bag of tricks. He then sees a vision of Nyagak at sea, an octopus crawling from her mouth. <laughs> Rial manages to escape the house, but finds herself inexplicably back in South Sudan outside of school. Upon entering a classroom, she's reunited with old friends. She asks where her daughter is, but one of her friends seems confused, as Rial doesn't have a daughter. In another flashback, we find these same friends fallen victim to a horrendous massacre, Rial being the only survivor. Ball finds her, and they make their escape. Fleeing the violence, they find a bus taking people away, but with limited space, they're only letting families with children on. Desperate, and with gunfire approaching, Ball sees Nyagak in the crowd and abducts her, falsely claiming that she is their daughter. She's in town! She's in town! Please! The couple get on the bus and escape, leaving Nyagak's real mother running behind the bus, shouting for Nyagak as Nyagak shouts back. <laughs> the three of them eventually make it to the Mediterranean and are crossing it on a crowded boat. The boat sinks, and neither Ball nor Rial are able to reach Nyagak before she sinks into the ocean. After the flashback ends, and Rial's friends disappear, one of them slides a knife over to her, indicating she should cut into Ball so the Apeth can take his body in exchange for Nyagak's. Sever his flesh. Give me his body, and I will give you what you want. Rial goes back into the house and sees the knife lying on the kitchen counter. She inches closer to it, but it disappears. Ball has taken it and cut into himself. He's accepted what they did and has decided to repay the debt. 
As a hole forms in the ground and the apath emerges in its wrinkly white humanoid form, Ball tells Rial to leave. As the apath starts to climb into a screaming ball, Rial sees and embraces Nyagak in the other room. After thinking back on everything that brought them there about Nyagak, Rial turns back and decides to save Ball. She takes the knife and slices the apath's throat from behind, killing it. Days later, Mark comes to inspect the house with some other officials. To his surprise, the house had been fully repaired. Ball and Rial tell them they have chosen to stay and make it their new home. Ball tells them that Rial killed the witch that haunted them, which Mark finds funny. Ball says they've decided to live on with the ghosts of their past from South Sudan, including Nyagak. After the officials leave, Ball and Rial stand in the living room doorway. Behind them stand many other unknown asylum-seeking refugees. They gaze across the hall into another room full of those left behind, including Nyagak. The two look into each other's eyes and hold hands, ready to tackle the challenges ahead together. That was the most beautiful summary I ever heard. Oh, thank you. Oh thank my you. God. Yeah. All right, all right. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> um. Well, okay. So, Ian, this movie clearly really does it for you. Uh, what? What are the things that really do it for you? Like, what are you looking at in this movie? And you're like, mm, that does it for me. You know, uh, well, I, I think it, I think it comes in two two parts. Okay. The first part is the characters and their story. I find the characters to feel really real, fleshed out, interesting, um, and especially the conflict between the two, between uh, Bull and Rial. It it just feels complex as it should be, um, and and I'm very invested in that conflict and in the relationship um, and just them as individuals as well. Like I, I care about what happens to them. The second part is the horror. I found the horror to be really effective. It's been a while since I've actually been watched a horror movie where, you know, I've been startled. And also it's been even longer since I've watched a horror movie uh, where I, I almost want to look away sometimes. Like, I have to keep my eyes on the screen because I know that something's about to happen and they set it up so well. Maybe it's that creepy aspect you were talking about. But I think not only are their jump scares good, but the lead up to them is perhaps even better. I just, I really like those two parts of it, the characters and the horror. Yeah, I I fully agree with both of those. I think the characters, they we dive so deep into their meaning. Um, mm-hmm. And just deep into their drive, their relationships with each other, it's it is really well put together. And the horror, I it, it does this amazing thing where it the horror is as confusing as you don't understand their situation. So as you start to get their situation more and more, the horror becomes more and more concrete with it. Right. I, I think they do it all right. I think it could have been done a little better. So the the parts where I fall off, there's two parts that uh. I think prevent this movie from being like a nine for me, actually. And they're not specific parts. They're just things that you find along the way. And that is, I think that we have too many situations of them, of another night in the house, of another instance of the scary stuff happening in the house. It's, it kind of becomes the norm too much rather than feeling 
like it's something terrorizing their lives. It feels like this just is their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that 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 kind of loses me there. I think we they needed to like maybe combine two of them, um, even just Xnay one. But the, and that's that's hard to say because they all of them are so great. I just think it was a little too much. And I think if I had to pin down what I would have wanted to see less of was his whole transport to the ocean kind of deal, because they do that a couple times. It's not just the once. And mm-hmm. I think that that was kind of like the pinnacle. That was like, oh my gosh, he's really deep in it. But that, I think that didn't do it any favors to reintroduce him into there again. I think that that that's that's where it should have peaked, and then we would have started to see the him actually confront it, and started to see the whole climax and into our epilogue. Yeah, that that makes sense, and especially knowing you know your past reviews of movies, I think it can hit you really hard when a movie almost builds up to to a climax too soon, like where they do a big thing too soon in the movie that they don't then top. So it gives a sort of weird feeling to the normal, uh, the, the buildup climax and the resolution. And, and, and I, I do think you're right there. Wow. I did really enjoy like, I like all of their scenes of horror were great, but I do agree that the buildup of horror wasn't as uh, smooth as it could have been. You didn't entirely get the feeling that it was going from not too bad to like super duper terrible. Like the beginning and the ending is good when it comes to that build up where it starts with him hearing whispers in the walls and then it ends with a monster cr- trying to crawl inside of his skin. But the in between parts uh, is a little flat in that, um, you know, it's I still think there's build up there, but it it goes pretty quickly to pretty damn bad and stays there and then goes to terrible um instead of there being a build-up and i think also uh perhaps what made the horror less than perfect uh was that and i think it's part of that is that in a way they showed perhaps a little too much like for instance with like the zombies that were in their house there was that really cool scene that they did with the footsteps where he would turn on the light and the zombie you wouldn't be able to see it but it would be walking towards him. Uh, and that was awesome. But when you turn off the lights and show the zombie, like the way that they did it, it's almost less scary because they're showing you more. They're not really making it ambiguous in any way. And so I think uh, perhaps they didn't use ambiguity as much as they could have to maintain that fear factor. Um, but nonetheless, I still think that the the horror and, and all of the horror uh, scenes and the jump scares and everything were still really good. It's some of the better scare tactics I've seen in recent horror movies by far. But yeah, it, overall, it doesn't ruin the movie by any means. It's definitely still worth a watch. It's definitely that like kind of like it's a movie you put on if you want to to have your significant other cuddle up with you. Just uh, for those of you out there that are using ulterior motives with your movies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, because it it is scary. It's properly scary, which is rare to say about horror movies nowadays. I would say that the other thing that doesn't do it for me, and this I, this does it for me a lot, like the other thing took off like half a point, the whole kind of how they did with it. Because while it wasn't perfect, it was still it was still all right, and it didn't ruin the movie by any means. Yeah. What hurt the movie for me was its climax, was that point where Rial decides to stab the witch that's burrowing into his skin, and from there they are okay because they killed this witch. Fine and dandy and all, but... 
these people kidnapped a child and then that child like to get to their own freedom to separated her from her mother and then on their journeys that child died like they that is terrible yes they're scared people but they've done a terrible thing Mm -hmm. i'm not i'm not like trying to pass judgment because i'm sure there are terrible things that happen like that in these kind of like war-torn situations where people are trying to find sanctuary people just do a lot out of fear but nonetheless what they did was they they really wronged that family and then the climax we see them kind of separating a lot. They're no longer on the same team. They're, they have different ideas of how they want to integrate into society. Do they embrace it fully? Do they still hold on to their own traditions? They've been at kind of like odds this whole time. And then her stabbing the witch in the back was kind of like saying, hey, we're still a team and I've got you. I'm not going to just let you go like this. Right. So then they get to continue to be their family because she was able to stab this weird entity that's been giving him these crazy visions. That feel That's wrong to me. That doesn't. That doesn't add up to me that it would be that easy to kill this thing and that at the end they get a happy ending where they ruined someone else's whole life. You know, yeah, that's, that's interesting. You point out uh, how, yeah, the resolution uh, doesn't necessarily sit right there, um, not only because, you know, it's I mean, li- like you said, what, what they did right is is that sort of sin that was committed that brought this curse upon them and they didn't necessarily atone for it and then on top of that i can see how it might seem a little too easy the way that uh she killed the apeth i think maybe the idea is that it's physical because it's crawling inside of him maybe it can be killed but regardless yeah i could definitely see that i wonder how it would have changed um had they left it a little more open like that like everything happens and then say after the folks that are supposed to check on them, like, you know, leave, there's some scene like before the credits or maybe right after the credits that indicates that perhaps the apeth is still there or is still around. That perhaps the curse isn't over after all. That would be interesting. Honestly, I think uh, it's weird because I didn't uh, this movie did this right that I'm about to reference, but it did a whole lot wrong. And we've talked about it before. I don't know if it's an actual released episode. It might have been our demo episode, but the Babadook. Oh, yeah, that was that was our unreleased pilot. Yeah, he uh, but so in the Babadook, so spoiler alerts for the Babadook. Sorry. Um, <laughs> he, uh, they they turn him into a metaphor at the end. And that really bothered me. But in this movie it would have been entirely appropriate, I think, to have like this when this demon is stabbed it instead of like just falling and dying, it crawls off into the walls or something they hear it whimpering and then like that when the in- investigative people i don't really know what to call them but mark and those people checking out the house come by they say and he asks like what what so there's still a witch and they're like we've subdued it and then you see him like kind of kick the wall or something like as because like acknowledging it's still there that makes sense too because uh then you're not indicating that they've necessarily atoned for the sin but like it's something that they're able to um start to deal with in like a healthy way and it's something that they can work past but it's not saying like oh they're all good now because they stabbed the apeth like if that if it's as easy as stabbing then like they just stab jason you know stab michael but it's never supposed to be that easy that's not that's not the fun of having a thing terrorize you it's supposed to be very difficult it's supposed to be a huge 
obstacle. It's, it's not even supposed to be like an option because when you introduce that option, it all just becomes so easy and easy is not how you want a climax to end. It's not how you want your movie to climax. So yeah, those are the two things that irk me enough that I gave it a six. I, I can see that. I still think for me, um, I do like that at the end of the day, the two of them had to come together. Uh, they had to resolve that conflict. And I suppose that was the difficult part um, was resolving that character driven conflict was coming together despite um, everything that had happened and everything that they'd done. Um, so I thought I thought that whole part of it was really cool uh and well done but yeah i can see just how especially looking at the apeth as as something to be afraid of they could have done a little bit better job of resolving it in a way that still maintains that fear uh, because that's what we see from really successful uh horror yeah and i think they do give it like a rule that like it was actually someone that cast this witch spell on them like wished the um apeth apeth is that what it's called I think it's called an apeth. Yeah, it's like a night witch. Yeah, something. the thing that the thing that wished this apeth upon them or cast the curse on them or something. Um, so they do give it some explanation, but it's still I feel like it should still be other too otherworldly to just be killed with a knife. That's that's all. Makes sense. So yeah, that those are my two gripes. The second one being more than the first. I did really love in this movie the use of sound was phenomenal. Like horror movies, you do have to be very particular about the sound. They're gonna kind of make or break the movie a lot of the time. Uh, usually, you just need to have like passable sound, but this movie has noticeably wonderful sound. And the part that sticks out to me the most is when this little girl Nagyak, uh, she's haunting uh, Ball in the living room or whatever, and we hear her just like footsteps, like da 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 super fast coming at him and that's terrifying we don't really see that like anytime we hear footsteps in horror movies it's always like the big thud 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 of michael searching for you it's never that like charging but that's terrifying is to know that something is charging like that especially when you can't see it exactly and then so the and the only other time we hear footsteps like that is when something is lurking but those are always quiet they're just little like you accidentally hear like the fabric of the slipper against the ground as a little girl passes behind you in the hallway but this movie, yeah, that charging, like it really stood out. It was, it draw, it drew a lot of fear. It's not what we normally hear. And I thought that was really awesome. Yeah, I was definitely surprised by that. Uh, the funny part is I, I had a thought of, because they did a something else that they did a fantastic job of was setting up these horror scenes. Like how, how they set up like uh, the hallway behind, well, the light would go out and like a door would open like all over the his shoulder, like behind him. Like we, we were seeing all these things to set up this scene and to like sort of build up that suspense before the scare. And I remember um, like seeing something behind him and I was like, wouldn't it be scary if like it just charged at him? And then they did that with, with Nyagak. So yeah, uh, that, was, that was really well done. And onto Nyagak again, her mask is really cool. A new mask today is really hard to land. When we make a slasher, we usually don't like have a revenge slasher, like an iconic slasher, where it's kind of a showcase of uh, someone wearing a mask. Uh, the mask masks are often brushed off, kind of. It's just like, well, here's a mask. It looks pretty good. Let's go with that. But this one, there was clearly a lot of thought put into it. It's so demented, and it's it's still weirdly playful, just in its like coloration and just kind of almost its style. I want to say 
even though style was more of a cultural reflection, I believe. Um, right. But it still retained like a sense of fun, but it was like a demented fun. And that was really awesome. And you see like that one, you see that eye hole with the, clearly a child's eye through it that looks so innocent. But like that twisted smile underneath it just really drives the point home of like, this is messed up. But it's a crazy play on innocence. Like it's so, a lot of horror movies will kind of, what's they kind of distort innocence. They kind of make sure that you see something that's supposed to be innocent, like Walking Dead, it's opening scene. A little girl is holding a rabbit at a gas station, um, a little toy rabbit. And she turns around and like her face is half zombie. Like a little girl's supposed to be so innocent, but then to uh then to mess with that is so jarring to an audience. And that was really cool what they did with the mask to get that. I like I I just really appreciate that they were able to do something original like that and make it true to the movie, make it look super great and really convey a message with that. I totally agree. A little detail there too is even though you could tell that there was it was a human face under there, the way that the mask was created, it made like it made it look like her eyes were like placed on her head weirdly or something. Like just the way that it was made um made her face uh like including the mask like just look very strange in like a uncomfortable scary way despite like you said those the innocence uh in those eyes so yeah that was it was very well done i also so when she's playing with the light switch that was really fun because without any kind of words with just actions with just the wonderful acting that the movie had they can they convey this idea that these things come at you in the dark that these things exist in the dark and then she gets to play with the light switch which we never see the light switch is always something that our character like our victim is always flailing towards and trying to get to but she takes advantage of the situation uh which also drives home the point of like this isn't your home like this is you don't have control here you need to get out and that was just that was awesome i i loved seeing her take control of the situation like that all right I also want to dive a little bit into Rial's character and particularly her relationship with tradition or like their culture uh, being confronted and like being just thrown in the middle of this entirely different culture. I really appreciate that they address that to an extent. I think that was a really awesome thing to put in a movie because it is very easy to not hold on to that when you're in a strange situation. It's super easy to just dive into what's the normal so that you fit into an extent so i think that was a really awesome just element to put in the movie and it they had it portrayed so well between ball and Ra, uh raya oh god i just said her name how did i real real thank you yeah um and and not only uh of course how difficult it is to hold on to but especially given their situation there's there's both indirect and direct pressure for them to conform, for them to assimilate. And of course, Bull is very intense on assimilating and doing whatever it takes to do so, you know, to make it his house. But Rial, of course, wants to remember uh, what was what was hers. Um, you know, it's it's her identity. And, uh, and she wants to hold on to that. And and I guess, you know, Nyagak in a way is, you know, and getting Nyagak back is her desire to return from where they came from but the truth of it is is that where they came from isn't what it was and it, and it won't be again and so you know they have to just sort of keep it uh with them and so she wants to do that she wants to keep what she can you know hold on to 
uh, her necklace. Um, and uh, Bolt is just willing to do whatever it takes so that they you know, never have to go back. So it's, it's a really interesting conflict. It's almost a conflict that you could see being internal to one person, but displayed as two separate people. So yeah, it's it's really interesting to uh, to have a movie explore that, not only explore that, but explore it uh, using horror to really emphasize that that conflict. Yeah, like assimilation is really a tricky line to walk because we see whenever you have just like a diaspora of people and the foreign their foreign lands, that assimilation while it doesn't it's not something you're sitting there like being afraid of actively. It's very much a fear for the community, for the culture that can oftentimes just go unnoticed. And so horror, I think was a wonderful genre to portray that. And I don't think it's been really used to portray that before. Uh, not that I can think of at least. So yeah, I, I do think that putting fear behind that and acknowledging that fear is really wonderful. You know, and, and something that a lot of horror movies do, especially movies that involve haunting is they, make the character feel trapped they do this to different degrees of success uh you know some it feels kind of silly like oh why don't they just leave uh this one it, it makes so much sense and and they are really trapped in in their situation and trapped in that house they have really no choice uh, but to stay there because leaving is also terrible and i think that's part of what makes it uh so good like how the horror is able to um, help tell the story and the struggle uh, but also how the story and the struggle is able to support the horror um, making it so that it's not just something that they can escape from it's something that they have to endure uh, so yeah it's it really it plays well no they just do it so wonderfully with the horror they their use of horror and their portrayal of horror just excellently done i want to talk to you though about his first encounter with the Apeth, with the witch, uh, in that kind of like dream world where he finds out like the fire can't hurt him and he's like, you don't have power over me. Uh, like pictures can't hurt me. He says something along those lines. Yeah. What did you think of that scene, Ian? How did that strike you? It's not It's not actually a scene that uh, I thought about a lot. I, I did like it though. And I think it did a good job of placing the burden um, with the characters of of how to continue it wasn't it wasn't really up to the apeth at the end of the day it was up to them and it was either going to be him to decide to do it to himself or it was going to be rial who decided to do it to him so i think i think it set that up pretty well yeah i think it did set that up really well it's just it's really unique to find that this haunting was like given a face i feel like hauntings rarely ever get a proper face if that makes sense that's true I was also uh, interested, and I think it makes sense to give the haunting a face. And I also, the face of the haunting, or the, the apeth, very purposefully was like this very pasty, ugly, wrinkly old creature, you know, white. <laughs> they based it off me, and that was freaky. I don't... Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I noted. I was like, wait, I, I recognize that. Actually, um, you're in a movie? No. <laughs> um... You know, and 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 it it and of course, I think it does act as that metaphor of you know crawling inside of his skin. You know, like his identity is being replaced, um, and that's something that you know he has to conquer. And Rial, who's who's of course helping him because she's the the big voice of reason in terms of you know, holding on to 
what they have. Holding on to their culture and then also just a means of navigating their grief. She just does it so much better. Yeah. It's just it's so it's interesting to me that we do see like kind of those eyes in the dark. They very purposely keep him very shrouded in that scene. And then we see him and just like his full form at the climax uh, towards the end. It's interesting to me that they just brought it back in like the same form. You, it's just it's in a very interesting play, I think, whenever dealing with this kind of like not real entity. But it it can, it's making its own kind of rules with that. And I think that's really awesome because it's probably I don't know anything about like the culture they come from. But I imagine that it's just not taking whatever wives tells, whatever beliefs they had, whatever they feared as a culture and just putting that into a film for an American audience and adapting to it. They instead kept its kind of purity in what it was. They didn't they didn't feel they had to sh- make changes to it to make it appealing to an audience. They could keep it true to the culture. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it, cer- it certainly felt that way. Um something I just thought of was how this movie did something very different when it comes to haunting which is both of the characters involved in the haunting became aware of the reality of the haunting and uh, also its potential consequences pretty early on. They didn't play a whole lot with, you know, having to convince the other person or anything like that. Like it was, they were both uh, aware of the situation and that it could mean doom. (laughs) But I think it was a, a great play in this case because instead of the focus being on either of them unable to convince others or each other of these this apex existence uh it emphasized the conflict between themselves and especially the conflict within themselves uh when it came to how they got there and and you know if they even wanted to be there and they used the apex to tell the story of bull and rial rather than using Bol and Rial to tell the story of the Apeth. I think that was a really good, you know, even though it's not something we see often, I think that was a really cool thing to do to have them both aware of this haunting pretty early on so that it's it was really that conflict that we could focus on. And uh, I like that their awareness of the haunting didn't deter them. It didn't make the movie any worse. It didn't deter them from acting as characters do in a horror movie. They still mm-hmm. made decisions that weren't necessarily for the best, but were in their best interest. Yeah, they 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 made sense. And there was no time when like um, like they, they both just reacted in their different ways. And, you know, Riala was actually quite it, it, she was actually quite comfortable with the Apeth. She wasn't comfortable with Bull and Bull was quite uncomfortable with the Apeth. And <laughs> the way that he reacted was through aggression uh, instead of fear, you know, kind of turns the fear into aggression, which makes sense given what he's trying to do. No, yeah, but I, I 100% agree. I don't I don't think I have anything more to say on the movie. And honestly, I feel like we kind of covered it all pretty quick there. Do you, you got anything you want to you want to call out before we hop into the surveys? Uh, let's go ahead and hop to the surveys, and if anything comes up, we can talk right. about it. So, as I mentioned, we got an 8.4 for this movie. The minimum rating was actually a 7 and a whole bunch of 9s. People really enjoyed this movie. And, you know, we are immediately hopping into a quiz for you. Damn. All right. It's just which scene scared you the most. There were a lot of distinctive scenes that were just built to terrify you. 
Uh, what was the what was the fear rating? The fear rating? Oh, we didn't have the fear rating because I goofed. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, but I just says which scared you the most. <laughs> That's too bad. This is a pretty scary movie too. That's true. I done goofed. It's okay. <laughs> we, there was ten across the board. Actually, I put it in. Oh, okay, just, good. Yeah. It sounded too unbelievable. <laughs> no, which scene scared you the most? The tugging on the rope scene, the Nyagox playing with the lights. Uh, ball's immersive vision into the ocean or the witch coming for a ball at last which do you think terrified the audience the most i would say her plan with the light switch okay is that the one that scared you the most i might actually say that the rope one was perhaps the most out of those the scariest to me just because of the the suspense around it that's the scariest for you is that what they voted on or no i think i think they voted for the light switch okay I was, try, I was trying to give it to you, and they voted on the rope one. God damn it. Oh, man. <laughs> and now I'm off the show. Oh, my God. This is awful. I, this is our last episode, guys. Wow. <laughs> and it's late, so, too. Damn. You and I fired each other. Damn. <laughs> what a harsh way for a company to get. <laughs> okay, well. Yeah, I would say that the tugging on the rope one. So for me, it was also, it was the lights that actually scared me the most. Because it's taking away that power from him, where the rope is just some freaky stuff happening. Mm. However, I think the most scariest visual for me was at the the end of that rope scene when that boy is sitting behind him, um, it, with just his mouth open, like it's just terrifying. That for some reason that imagery terrifies me. I don't know if you remember what I'm talking about because it's a very small part. I think I do. I actually, and I also loved when they just had like faces in the walls. Yeah, that was solid. Like to make a humanoid scary, I think one of the best ways to make it scary is to have it stand completely still and be looking from like a weird angle and be like a little obscured, you know, like just yeah. hanging from the doorway, just staring at you. Like, I think that's extremely scary. Yeah. And just being somehow unnatural like that. Yeah. The the face behind them was clearly like in a permanent state of shock of sorts. And... Like, how are people actually in the walls? Like, if they're in an unnatural space, it just feels terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, and next we hop into what part of this movie scared you the most? Not scene, but part. So the three options, because I think that they have a lot going for it here. The three options are the soundscape, the visuals, or the gore on screen. Like, which, which sense did it hurt the most? The ears, the eyes, or the feel <laughs> or the feel the feel um i would actually say the soundscape okay oh is that the one that scared you the most those those fast footsteps yeah yeah i i would agree with you um the audience got it wrong but ah because well, they said they're out the too yeah they're fired God, sorry you guys. there's no paths of fear <laughs> we're closing down the discord <laughs> yeah um but yeah, no, they, they were most terrified of the visuals, which makes sense. And I think yeah. that the soundscape is something you have to pay kind of extra attention to because what the soundscape does is it really emphasizes those visuals. Yeah, and, and we notice that because we're smart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, but I think that just speaks to the wonders of the soundscape, the, like, the, just the absolutely wonderful job they did with how much they amplified the visuals with it. Because if you, I think if you take out the soundscape from this movie or if you do it even just a little different, it's not going to give you the same fear factor yeah it does with these visuals with all the same visuals just won't do the same so yeah i asked this question Ian, because i mentioned it bothered me is how do you feel about this family come the end of the movie hmm. 
The first answer is I feel angry on their behalf for everything they had to endure, sad for the guilt they have to live with, and impressed with the women's strength in killing the witch. They better get to keep that damn house after all they had to go through. <laughs> I also, I want the blonde white lady next door to mind her own damn business. That's fair. She was the worst. <laughs> she was the actual antagonist of this movie. That's true. You have to change mm-hmm. your uh, your picture to that woman. <laughs> the Discord. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> She's going to be it. Um, all right. Our next one is Love Real. Little Shaky on Ball. I think it's pronounced Ball, but it could be Ball. I don't know. I'm not sure he truly made up for killing the little girl. Plus, not a huge fan of how controlling he was. I agree. Ball had those character flaws. I don't think they ruined the character for me. I definitely just saw his flaws, and I think that made him more of an interesting character to be so flawed. Um, our last one, and instead of this, is I'm happy they ended up together, and I, I'm I'm happy they ended up together, and they ended up happy. But oh my god, what a ride! So in general, people weren't. Someone did agree with me that. They hadn't really made up for killing the little girl, but just Ball, which is interesting that they put it on Ball and not her, not Rial. Because in reality, it wasn't really Rial's idea. She could have stood up for the little girl and said, like, hold on, that isn't her daughter. What are you doing? But also, what are you going to do in that kind of situation? Yeah. And it's so complicated because it's like, well, is it the right thing to do to after that girl is on the bus? Should we, like, take her off the bus? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's, it's weird. Um. So our last one is share with a, so I started asking, I've had lots of demands for this, so I'm trying it out. Maybe I'll try it next time as well. And maybe it'll become a thing. I just asked them to share other thoughts they had with us. Just a kind of a free write section. Um, our first is I can't get the sounds of when the ball sack man had his hand inside of ball out of my mind. Yeah, that was, that was really well done. Oh God. I don't know if my discord's going to be the terrible lady from next door or if it's going to be ball sack man now. <laughs> it's tricky. Yeah. It was that was a really freaky scene though. The way that he was slipping on Ball's skin. Yeah, no, that was that was unnerving. Ooh. Not okay. Our second one is some of the visuals I saw of this movie before watching, like the stuff Netflix had up to make you watch it, really made it look like the actor who played the Eleventh Doctor had a big role, even though he really doesn't. Yeah, Matt Smith. I love Matt Smith. <laughs> a little side note. I think Matt Smith will make a wonderful Joker. I think he would be like just a grade A Joker. Hmm. But uh, that's just me. Uh, just makes me think about how something has to be advertised to get people to watch it. And what does it mean when you have to put a famous white actor prominently on advertising materials to get people to watch a movie about an African couple? It's. It, I think it's sad that that has to be the means. I don't fault the movie creators for it because what they're doing is they're luring in people who do look for that kind of thing, but then they're luring them into an actually good movie though that doesn't actually revolve around that guy yeah and of course you know you never know like i with the people who make the movie i don't have no idea how much impact they really have on how it's marketed yeah especially with netflix i think netflix really just takes over from there yeah our next answer is god i saw someone god damn someone someone caught me and they said also you didn't have a fear rating oh this is the same one actually this is just another paragraph they had to call me out just in a whole new section <laughs> You didn't have a fear rating and mine would be higher than normal. I would put it at five. There were some moments that genuinely made me want to hide behind my blanket. Yes. Yeah, that's just true. You got that one right. So you can stick around for Paths of Fear. Okay. One. Everyone else has to go. <laughs> All right. So, the, someone's going to have to be truthful about who it is, though. It is anonymous, so. Oh, that's true. I guess you can just show up next time and when everyone else doesn't show up. <laughs> you know, it's... <laughs> um. I really liked it. I thought it was a very original and creative spin on a horror classic, the 
haunted house. They accidentally said haunted house. So watch your spelling there, bucko. Uh, could have completely changed your answer, but <laughs> it's a tough subgenre to get right, but they nailed it. Yeah, I'd agree. So the haunted house needs to rely on the people, not the house. The idea of the house being haunted is old and we don't buy into it anymore. Yeah. But just having it be the primary setting for the haunted people, that's great. Yeah. Uh, the, our last answer is one thing that really stuck with me while watching this is the real life PTSD that people who have been through war have to deal with on a regular basis and how honestly it's not far from what was seen in the movie other than actually being hurt and touched. Yeah, we didn't really touch on that, but the, I mean, people really do have these terrible experiences beyond when they find sanctuary, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, it is a good thing for the movie to address. And I'm glad you pointed that out for us. Thank you. And again, I think that's why horror uh, is so great here um, because, I mean, a lot of that really is horrific and it's really cool for them to be able to sort of recreate that 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 trauma that people experience after the fact using horror. Horror, it was definitely the right genre for it. So, do you have any last thoughts you want to give us, Ian, before we head on out? Uh, I suppose if I can end on anything with this movie... I'd say that it is a really fantastic exploration of the realities of assimilation, asylum, and refugees in general, uh, and that horror was a great avenue for them to do this on, and they did it really well using that. Really wonderful. Definitely a worthy watch. Thank you all so much for stopping by. We have been Paths of Fear. We're no longer Paths of Fear after <laughs> <laughs> we're done <laughs> yeah <laughs> but no we're we're not actually done it's all jokes we're still going. don't leave um we try to stream mondays and wednesdays it's been tricky because we are swamped with the end of the school semester coming up um yeah sorry sorry about omari mondays <laughs> yes but they shall return make make no mistake mm -hmm. and yeah we if you want to hop in for our movies if you want to join in on our audience and give your opinion in that discord the link is in the description of the spotify you are listening to this on am i forgetting anything in not really i mean i would say the website cool. but i think you know it's okay <laughs> well yeah we'll bring It'll it up, up when it's ready exactly awesome. well thank you all so much and farewell <laughs>